Today's program is part of a special series brought to you by St. Agnes Medical Center and Every Neighborhood Partnership with funding provided by ACES Aware. Together, we are working to raise awareness about the effects of adverse childhood experiences in hopes of building a healthier community and a brighter future for our children. Dr. B explains the importance of acknowledging our stressors of the past in order to thrive in the present. Plus, she shares practical tips for coping through challenging times and building greater resiliency so you and your family can enjoy healthier and more fulfilling life. Hi, you're listening to Delusional Optimism with Dr. B, where we explore human resiliency and learn how people thrive even after adversity. We break down the complexities of the human brain so concepts are simple and relatable. It's fun and empowering to understand how your earliest experiences influence your relationships today. What makes you tick? Dr. B is a speaker, trainer, and consultant who understands emotions and human development from the inside out. Let's dive into today's episode. Here's Dr. B. Hi everyone, it's Dr. B, and in today's episode of Delusional Optimism, we're going to be talking about tweens and teens. What's that? Oh, about the age range of 11 to maybe 16, 15, 16 years old. If you're interested in furthering this conversation, please email me at contact at drbconnections.com. Or if you want to book a training, then check out my website at www.drbconnections.com. And there's some new specials on there, so check it out. All right, let's get started. Well, good morning, Dr. Me. How are you doing? I'm doing well. Doing so it's well. Friday. Friday. It Love is that. Friday. Yes. <laughs> All right. And yeah. uh, today we are talking about the easiest topic ever, tweens and teens. Do you have any awkward stories that you can tell, tell us from your Ooh. own teen stage. Oh my gosh, I was such an awkward tween teen. The funny thing about being a tween or a teen, which is like 11 to 16, is that they pretty much, if you think back to it when you were that age group, you pretty much do really believe that you know everything and that you are invincible. (laughs) (laughs) Like, let's just call it, you know, Superman stage. Because I, I look back at that and I think, oh my gosh, I just had no faith in adulthood really as you know Mm. i thought that i really was the end all of opinions so an awkward story oh gosh there have there are so many awkward stories like (laughs) you know i'll tell you an awkward story and it is it's a it's really kind of embarrassing but you know i was really athletic as a as a as a kid and as an adolescent and so and i always so i played a lot of basketball played mm-hmm. baseball with my friends, wore tube socks, you know, up to my knees. It was a thing back then. <laughs> and um, and I was 12. So a girl at 12, you know, typically like starts shaving their legs and whatever, like all these yeah, cultural yeah. norm things 30 years ago. And I remember when my mom told me like I was old enough now that I needed to shave my legs and not wear tube socks anymore. And I thought, wait, okay, what? That's so... <laughs> Yeah, like, what? What is that? Like, who made that rule? Like, why would that be a rule all of a sudden when I'm in, you know, sixth, seventh grade? Mm -hmm. So I pushed back on it for a little while, but then eventually, you know, peer pressure kicked over. And of course, I had to, you know, follow my group. And, you know, I've shaved Mm -hmm. my legs ever since. So, and I don't own any tube socks. So, (laughs) Um, but 
it is just one of those funny things that about how these weird markers creep up on us. Mm. And if we're not prepared for them in stages and steps by our parents, then they really do like just come out of nowhere and surprise us. All right. So the stages that you are referring to is we're in the fifth stage now, teens and tweens. Um, what is What are some things that we should know about this stage? Well, right off the top, and I think this doesn't get explained to anybody because we really don't do a great job of explaining development to parents and mm-hmm. people. Like we should understand our own developmental process and I call that baby mapping and we should probably talk about that sometime but mm-hmm. it's a bigger bigger conversation than today but baby mapping is really mapping your babyhood through adulthood mm. and looking at those resilient points but in we don't talk about our own development and how we're similar to other people and then different in our own individual way across our lifespan So everybody thinks they're doing this thing called life on their own. And in reality, there are some very strong parallels. So one of the things about this stage, tweens and teens, is that it's a repeat. Development repeats itself. And this is one of the most powerful repeats because tweens and teens are actually repeating the important milestones of toddlerhood. You did okay. round one in toddlerhood as, you know, 18 months to 36 months old, you know, mm-hmm. no, mm-hmm. no, no, me, 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 mine, 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 you know, mm-hmm. every, just everything's about me. Well, guess what you're in for now? <laughs> A walking, talking, <laughs> bigger version of that, and really not much more capacity to rationalize around hmm. wants and needs. That's interesting. Okay. <laughs> Isn't it terrifying? It's, yeah. it's interesting and fun, but it is when you put it in perspective and look at our response to teenagers, we tend to treat them much more like adults mm-hmm. than, I hate to say it like this, than big babies. But yeah. in reality, what they need from us is that loving big baby kindness understanding with a lot of boundaries and discipline in the sense of teaching. This is an opportunity for really teaching Mm. them how to exist in the adult world. What are some like specific areas that should be or could be addressed in this, in this age group? Okay. So the, the big obvious ones are, you know, sex, drugs, and rock and roll. Like, (laughs) you know, (laughs) we talk about this all the time. We, what do parents and kids fight about? Music, relationships, you know, especially good grief if they involve anything related to, you know, sex. Mm -hmm. And then there's drugs and alcohol. And so we know that trauma plays into the, you you know, the, the higher the adverse childhood experiences, the correlation is directly related to the overuse or misuse of alcohol and drugs or other out-of-bounds behavior. So whether that's sexual promiscuity or running away or being involved in petty crime or even bigger crime. So we have to balance out the norm or the typical verse, you know, the typical, I don't want to be like you behavior because you're my parent with 
okay, what's the result really of trauma and adversity? So that's the first thing that's important. And adversity isn't the end all, you know, your life is ruined. Remember, we balance adversity and adverse childhood experiences with resilience and positive experiences and relationships. So it doesn't mean that just because you have trauma in your childhood that you're going to, you know, go down this one and done path. Mm. But we definitely do have to acknowledge that it does we want to look at our broadest lens mm-hmm. when we're ta- when we're talking about raising this age group and you know parenting or teaching this age group they're not our peers right. as adults they do not have this frontal you know their frontal lobes online yet they are mm-hmm. not rational beings think of them as like big toddlers in a lot of ways but with a lot more information, and if we help them, they can, you know, we really, this is a place where we have an opportunity to scaffold their development. Mm-hmm. Help them think through the things they want to think about, but then give them the power and the freedom to make decisions for themselves as long as it's within the tolerated boundary. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So maybe one kid's barely step towards the the boundary circle Mm -hmm. and another one is going to just live on the rim of that circle, (laughs) just like dance along the edge. Yeah. Both are fine. Mm -hmm. The ones we need to worry about are the ones that keep crossing over the boundary. Mm -hmm. And so we, it's our responsibility to set the boundary properly and appropriately for this age group to keep them safe it's like fireworks to keep them safe and sane. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <So>. <laughs> right. Uh, yeah. Yeah. So how would you suggest parents for, for kids that keep crossing those boundaries? Because you don't want to be hyper helicopter controlling, manipulating parent. What are, what are some strategic ways to actually help set up those boundaries and help not keep crossing them? Yeah, it's hard. Okay, so question number one, do we have trauma and do we need professional intervention? That's Mm -hmm. the first question I want to know. If we have a kiddo who's crossing the boundary over and over again and getting into situations that are risky or even life-threatening, you know, Mm -hmm. just really harmful for them. That's the first question. Do we need to get professional intervention here? In just the typical kids who don't know what the boundary is, parents need to sit down with kids and decide together with tweens and teens. And remember the 10-year-olds who are super, super black and white, like they love rules and they love to assert Hmm. punishment. (laughs) So (laughs) so this is very, uh, 11 and 12, this is a really good time. To set up, and if you haven't done it before, it's really good if you've done it at 10 because they'll do the hard work for you. Mm. Set the boundaries up within the family. I say, I actually have a video about this. I call it the family rules where you sit down and you have a meeting. You use no negative language. So no, no coming home late. Instead, you say everybody reports home at the time they agree to, or Mm -hmm. everyone leaves a note in the family if they're going to be gone for, you know, where they're at and how they can be contacted. Mm -hmm. Everyone keeps their hands and feet and body to themselves. No, you know, whatever. You can think of all the things. We use kind and respectful language with each other. You know, 
All right. Now, if you live in a household where none of these things happen, ping, we might have some trauma. If somebody comes home and beats up mom every day, this is not going to be, this isn't going to work. We're in the professional help zone. But if everybody sits down and agrees to that family rules, then people will will hold themselves accountable to that. It's mm-hmm. when parents set the rules and tell toddlers to obey them. They're not going to obey them. That right. would be counter that would be counter to their development. Right. It would be so inappropriate. So mm. we want them to be on board and they're highly sensitive to hypocrisy. If you never leave a note, never let them know where you are or when you're going to be home and then expect them to do that all the time, they might call you out on it. It doesn't necessarily mean that you have an equal relationship. You don't need to tell children where you are all the time. They do need to know that you're safe and healthy and okay and that if they need to contact you, they can. So, Mm -hmm. you know, balancing out our adulthood with our merging, emerging young adults. We're teaching mm. them to become adults like yeah. us. So what does that look like? I'm still here and yeah, I'm not I'm gonna I'm allowed to have a beer if I want to. Right. And you're not. Mm-hmm. But if I drink a twenty four pack and come home and then I'm completely obnoxious and beat up my partner, okay that's never okay ever period Mm -hmm. so we have to look at and they're watching and they have been watching from the very beginning so we have to really look at ourselves and then apply what we know and want about ourselves in a strategic way for our teens and tweens how do aces affect that it's not necessarily an ability to follow rules as much as the willingness or the the what's the word I'm looking for competency to yeah, follow I rules. Yeah, I mean, there is a competency to okay, following rules yeah. because think about it: that we have the rational ability to decide and you know sort of which rules we're going to follow or which mm-hmm. rules we're not going to follow. If somebody makes a rule that we recognize in our logical, rational brain is an inhumane rule and we're on, we decide not to follow it. Mm-hmm. Well, young people don't have that part of their brain online and certainly not online long enough mm-hmm. to be able to rationalize not following the rule. We a little bit we talked about this a little bit in a previous episode around right. the COVID vaccine. Mm-hmm. That there's these rules about how to follow the, you know, order of vaccine, but we also know that vaccines are getting wasted. If people don't just jump into the line, there, there's not, we're not pushing people out of line. We're just putting people in line so those vaccines don't get wasted. And I have heard more adults in literally my age bracket, so the 40, 50, 60 age bracket, even mm-hmm. really across all age brackets, I've heard more people say, well, I really feel guilty like going out of turn. And I'm thinking, okay, you do not need to feel guilty about mm. going out of turn because the rules are just set because the, we need a structure right now. Mm-hmm. 
but we've never done this before. So sometimes you have to mediate and moderate the rules. Right. Teens and tweens and toddlers, nobody, they cannot do that very well at all. Right. Where, and a a lot of adults can't. (laughs) A lot of adults can't because they didn't, they didn't get there. And so, but in an ideal world around trauma and resilience, we want to give adolescents the opportunity to get the most bang for their buck with their resilience by providing them opportunities to make decisions for themselves in a safe and healthy parameter. And that's yeah. always that's always true for all children. The circles just get bigger as kids mm-hmm. get older and then we let them out of the circle and say, fly baby bird. All right, so there's some predominant themes in this age group. So we have sex, drugs, and music and and the arts on some level, and that seems to be a lot of points of contention between kids and their parents. So how would you talk to this age group? How would you help them manage and work through these things? Yeah, oh, that is such a great question and so not an easy answer, although Mm -hmm. we can look at it through a much broader lens. And I'm going to start actually with the arts and music because those are places where contention between parents happen often. And it really is such a resilience location. It's such a place where youth get to separate from their adults, the adults in their world, and have their own independent experience in really a healthy way, because we mm-hmm. want people to have music expression. We want people to have art as a way of expressing themselves, yeah. even if that art doesn't fit into our view or genre of art or our yeah. view or genre of music. So the ability to express oneself is a resilience buffer or factor or influence. So we want kids to Mm. rock out alone, you know, with music. And I know so many 13 year olds, you know, who picked up an electric guitar at 13 and taught themselves how to play music, you know, and, or drums. My brother is a drummer and just, I mean, he to this day could just sit in front of his drum set and just, you know, smash music out (laughs) and that's so healthy so adults need Mm -hmm. to reverse their thinking about oh my gosh my kids painting skeletons do i need to freak out no probably Mm -hmm. not you know it's an expression if they were like instead keeping that inside them and not allowing it out then Mm -hmm. i would be much more concerned the other thing is like where we set the boundaries around art and music. You know, there's graffiti art now. So like people actually paint phenomenal murals on walls and buildings that are just awesome. And yet we call it all the same thing, tagging versus graffiti Mm. art, you know? So we have to recognize the difference and appreciate the arts for how healing and what a source of 
healthy mental health, the arts are to everybody. But particularly, there's a study that shows that I think 13 and 14-year-olds are the most creative than they will ever be again in their lifetime. Wow. Okay. Yeah. And so they express themselves through, you know, we don't think of that at all. But if you if you think about it from a neurobiological perspective, it makes a lot of sense because the brain here again in this tweens and teens zone is reorganizing. It's rewiring. Mm-hmm. It's saying, okay, now you've had childhood, but now we got to prep you for the adult world. Yeah. We're going to change your body up so you can have you know, so you can reproduce. Mm-hmm. Okay, so that's just evolutionary. We need you to have babies. So yeah. we have to change your sex organs and your hormones mm-hmm. in order for you to reproduce. Translate that into young teens. They just want to have sex or, you know, <laughs> they are becoming, they're becoming a sexual being for the first time. Mm, yeah. And that's interesting. Anytime we become something for the first time, it's interesting and we're curious about it and we want Mm -hmm. to experience it so we can understand it more. So the more adults support kids in that area, even though it's awkward and weird, the better off kids are. So I used to, and my kids will just like I used to lock Eli, not lock him in the car, but <laughs> I would have sex conversations with Eli in the car because he couldn't get out and just ditch me. But I could like throw information at him. Mm. He could just be horrified with me for a little while. And then he would have the information later if he needed it or whatever. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, but we are so unaware of how unaware a lot of kids are mm. about information around their bodies and Mm -hmm. particularly their sexuality. So this is a different child. My daughter, when she was about nine, I thought, oh my gosh, I should probably like talk to her about starting her period or, you know, menstruating. Mm -hmm. Like it's, this could happen anytime, but you know, it probably won't for a few years, but she should know. So I happened to have her in the car just by herself one day. And I said, Lainey, do you know what a period is? And she looked at me like I was the dumbest thing on earth. (laughs) And she said, a dot at the end of a sentence in a very sarcastic tone, which wasn't even her typical tone. Like, what is wrong with you? And I thought, okay, mom moment. Like, she has no idea. And we're the only girls in the house. So she just like, I needed to like start to unpack that story for her. And interesting, I'll add on to this, a personal point. So my mom never talked to me about starting, you know, your period. Mm -hmm. She did give me a book about questions Dear Abby answered for people, but it didn't like how would you ever know that this was coming down the pike? <laughs> so I happened to have a best friend who had four sisters, like there were four girls in their family, sisters. Mm-hmm. I don't know how I knew, but when I started my period, I was like, I wasn't scared, but I just was like puzzled at what I was supposed to do. Yeah. So 
I didn't run out and tell my mom. I called Christina and I said, okay, Mm. I'm super confused about like, what do you do now? This is what adolescents do. They don't go to their parents because this is weird to talk to your parents about. They go to their friends. Now, I happen to have a friend who had a lot of information with a lot of siblings. And Mm -hmm. so I got accurate information to some degree in that sense. But kids get information from other kids, and it can be really bad. So Mm. that same friend believed that if you swallowed a watermelon seed, (laughs) that you got pregnant. Oh, dear. Yeah. So here she is giving me, you know, (laughs) menstruation, you know, sanitation advice. And here she's Mm -hmm. telling me, like, if you swallow a watermelon seed and crying, that she's going to have a baby and she's 12. And I'm thinking... What is wrong with you? You're not having a baby. You, yeah, that's not a thing. We fill in the gaps of what we don't know with information we think makes sense. You can leave that to chance, or you can just fill in the gaps for them. Mm. And I suggest be a gap filler with accurate information that's helpful in manageable doses, accessible. Mm-hmm. And then they, as they get older, they will begin to fill those gaps in and have open conversations with you or with others who are informed rather than getting the information from their friends because right. their friends don't know. They just make shit up. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> because that's how it works. Like, oh, that kind of makes sense. Like, you yeah. bury a watermelon seed oh if you put it in okay yeah, there, yeah. you get a plant yeah so in the in the realm of i'm sure there's some parents out, out there asking like why why doesn't my kid come talk to me about this and i think there's i mean there's there's that parent and there's also the more like ignorance is bliss parent and then there's probably the other side of of just like almost sharing way too much and being way too open about everything all yeah. at once so how, how do you how do you determine how to enter into those conversations in a respectful way that's drawing appropriate boundaries and and just giving the information that is needed at the time? Yes, that's great. So as we shift and talk about like building resilience and buffers into our children's lives, so you're absolutely right. There's the you know don't ask, don't tell parents. So Mm -hmm. they don't say anything unless you ask. Well, kids are never going to ask because you don't know to ask about something that you don't know about. Right. Like, I don't know anything about molecules in space, so I have no interest or, you know, I'm never going to ask somebody about that. Mm. (laughs) Like, not necessary. So... But if I'm but if something comes up that I'm curious about, I'm much more likely to ask a friend than a parent or to just listen and learn from yeah. you know the yeah. environment. Yeah. Then there's the parents who are just like, nobody ever talked to me about it, so I don't even know what to say to my kids about it. That was kind of the me at first because mm. I thought, oh my gosh, nobody ever talked to me about this, so I really need to be on it. But then I just waited and I didn't get on it. And I remember feeling very awkward and uncomfortable about how that would, how those conversations would unfold until I started having them. Mm -hmm. And then I just decided that this isn't supposed to be like our favorite conversation together. Sure. 
These are just supposed to be conversations that are about information sharing and feelings. And, you know, we just got to get through it how we get through it. So don't let our adult fear mess up our relationship experience with kids. So Mm -hmm. jump in, ask questions as as a parent, get, get professional help yourself if you need to, to help find you know, jump on my page and ask me like, hey, what what, what kind of words could I say? Mm-hmm. And I always say, lead as the investigator, lead as a wonderer about what's going on. You know, I, when I was a kid, I wondered about these things. I wonder what you're wondering about now. And you have to be really careful about confidentiality. Kids hear you tell other parents things or other adults things that they say and do or put it on Facebook. We have to be respectful of kids' privacy because they're afraid you're going to embarrass them about this information, even littles. And then it's so much easier to build on information we already started. So if you've already started saying to a toddler, these are your private parts, this is a penis, this is your vagina, like mm-hmm. we use the words, it's it's uncomfortable. It's uncomfortable for me to say that on a podcast, but yeah. I'm not willing to not say it Because if we can give kids proper language, appropriate for their age, a little bit along the way, then we don't have to flood flood them with it all when Mm -hmm. they hit 12, 13, and all of our stuff also comes creeping up. Yeah. Um, yeah. So this this actually reminds me. I I traveled in China for for three months actually, um, like five years ago, I guess it is now. And I was visiting a family over there, and we were sitting at the dinner table, and they were uh, I don't know, probably in the the three to five range, and just eating our dinner. And then all of a sudden, one of the girls piped up and was just like, "Seth, do you have a penis?" <laughs> like. <laughs> <laughs> yes, 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 I do. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> and uh, and then they continued talking about <laughs> penises and vaginas. The point of this story is like, how do we saying something to that to me, which I'm basically an, an uncle on some level, is fine. Yeah. I mean, it was um, with their parents. We were at the dinner table. It's fine. Um, a little weird for at, for a second there, but yeah. but how do we teach kids to not be ashamed of those things about their body? And, and being naked and all that other stuff, but also knowing there's a time and a place and these are private, but they're not to be ashamed of. That's such a difficult right. line to, to know how to work with. Right. Private, but not ashamed of. That's such a good way of putting it. And it's so important that, you know, for the littles at the table who are like, are like, oh, hey, you know, you got a penis? Yeah. yeah. You know, you got a right arm? Sure. Yeah. yeah you know, for I see them, your nose. Yeah. That, for if you think about the child, that's exactly how they view another person's body and their own body. Then mm-hmm. it's all of us adults and all of us in like our culture and society that impose this like, Oh my gosh, everybody like everyone's eyes bulge out of their head when a mm. kid says penis <laughs> or vagina. Like Right. That's a powerful word. That's way better than saying, you know, your left arm. Right. Like and I'm a little scared and I'm a little, you know. So 
we send these messages without saying a word that this is different. It's different when we're talking about that than when we're talking about this, your foot, you know, like, um, so it's okay. That conversation right there is appropriate to have with kids. Hey, when people talk about their private parts, the reason they're called private parts are because we only have those conversations with people that we have a relationship with and that we are safe with and that it's appropriate with. And then we talk Mm -hmm. about other things. So there we have this conversation about what's private and what's public. And shame, hello, Brene Brown's entire career in research and life is built off of shame. So we're not going to like clean house on shame (laughs) in in this podcast. I wish we could, but I'm going to leave that to Brene. But we do send... These messages about, I mean, and they come from so many different cultural angles in terms of religion and just different different cultural groups in terms of how people view gender and sex and sexuality and mm-hmm. sexual orientation and gender identity and all of these things that influence our ability to be comfortable with our own bodies. Mm -hmm. So that's the first thing is getting comfortable with our own body and then trying to teach really our children to be comfortable with their bodies within the boundary of understanding privacy, appropriateness, Mm -hmm. managing shame, so when you say, I think you said that there was like a three and a five-year-old at the table in, yeah. in the, okay. So three and five-year-olds have absolutely like no filter. If it runs across their brain, <laughs> they're going to blurt it out. Yeah. I think we, we talked about that in yeah. whichever one that was. And my oldest son, Joe, we called him Nakey Boy because at four... He literally would be all set, go in the bathroom, get naked to get take a bath, and then guess who would become the streaker across the living room? No mm-hmm. matter who was there, nobody or a house full of people. Yeah. The naked boy. Like he just, you know, he thought that was so funny, and why did he think it was funny? Because it got a reaction. Mm-hmm. Right? If he just mm-hmm. ran through the room with all his clothes on, nobody would have been like, "Oh, gosh, he's, you know, this little naked boy running around. So does that mean we just let it go? No. We know now and we say, okay, this is not appropriate for everybody's viewing. It's just appropriate for this small circle of people. These are the people that you can, you know, talk to about this and reveal your whole body to. We talk about that to some degree, but then in terms of, of sort of halting that. I don't know that I think the 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 conversation with the two little girls with you was super appropriate and normal. Like yeah. and I hate using yeah, the yeah. word, let's say super appropriate, very age typical age development, like nothing outside the box there would hate for them to be punished or scolded or right. shamed about that conversation because that's mm-hmm. where we decide are we going to be open or are we going to be shamed 
Yeah. And that's where it comes from. So we have to have a fine line and we probably should use the word. I don't want you to feel ashamed of your body. I just want to make sure that you share your body because it's your only body Mm -hmm. with people that you choose to share it with who will love it and value it the way I do and the way you do. Yeah. See how different that is? That's such a that's such a really great way of putting that. Yeah. Because that leads into like I cherish my children and their bodies and I want them protected. Mm-hmm. Someday they will be in relationships with partners who my hope is will cherish and love their bodies mm-hmm. totally differently than I do as a parent, but in a respectful, loving way that allows them to be them their whole selves and for their partners to be their whole selves. Mm-hmm. I want them to be do the same thing. Right. So starting that conversation early about cherishing and loving your body and sharing it only with people who can love and cherish it as mm-hmm. well in an appropriate way and being really yeah. clear about what that is, then that's really how we start down the path. And so many people's bodies have been exploited early, early, early on. I do think that we have to have conversations about with children about inappropriate touching of genitals and inappropriate requests that anything that makes your body tell you you don't like it or feel mm-hmm. uncomfortable is fair game for conversation with parents and they need to bring it up often yeah. because children don't know, like we tell them all the time, listen to adults. Right. So if adult tells you like, hey, you should do this, then they're going to do it and be confused. Mm-hmm. Most molestation, sexual assault happens within social groups or family. It's not a random scary person out on the street that you have never met before. Mm-hmm. It's somebody that you probably love and care about and see often and don't want to get in trouble. Yeah. As hard as that is. If I'm if I'm understanding you correctly, it sounds like as kids get into these teenage years, starting way before that, to have positive conversations, not just don't do this, don't do this, don't do this, not just don't show this to this person. It's like right. more of the positive um, affirming their actions rather than just negating or saying you're wrong and how you did that. And mm-hmm. hopefully, eventually, that will lead into a better relationship with their body and, and how they relate to others in their bodies in teenage right. years, correct? Yeah, and in adult years. Yeah, for sure. Mm-hmm. And recognizing that, you know, in toddlerhood, it's really typical for children to fiddle with their newfound parts. You know, they're like, Mm -hmm. whoa, this is so interesting, you know? Mm -hmm. And that's okay. So we don't want to say, don't touch your penis in the bathtub. Like, whatever, touch it, it's fine. Like, it's just not, it's like an an attached toy. So um, (laughs) you never lose. So it can be your favorite part. And, you know, and it's, if kids have siblings that are, different genders, then they get to see different, you know, they get to Mm -hmm. recognize the difference sooner. But kids who don't have siblings of different genders, you know, often are like, whoa, that's weird. So now we want to maybe introduce a book or, you know, have some different kinds of conversations because they're going to be, they just think everybody's the same. Mm -hmm. 
And then when kids become four to five and want to, you know, run around the house naked, then we have that conversation about sharing your body and those, you know, who you share it with, who this is okay for. And, and then we have to monitor that. We can't really expect them to handle that themselves. So if you have a house full of people, maybe you're in there with them while they take a bath at that time and know that they will grow out of it. All right, so navigating these these teenage years, what are some, some great practical takeaways for the parents out there listening? So I'd say for the the quick and easy short version practical takeaways, because remember, we're not going to tackle adolescence in one hour or one 30-minute <laughs> no? podcast, okay. but, um, but we can definitely start. And so what I would say is start off with a family rules list. Make sure that it's all positive language so people know, ex- and it's very descriptive. This is what I expect you to do. Hey, we'll all leave a note with the time that they'll be they'll return and how to get a hold of me if I'm gone mm-hmm. if I'm not at the house or you know keeping hands and feet to yourself using respectful kind language when we talk to each other mm-hmm. asking questions instead of making assumptions that somebody wanted to hurt you whatever you yeah, know yeah. make a list that's appropriate culturally consistent with your family and your beliefs and your religion and all of those things, but make a list that everybody can get on board with together. Mm-hmm. And so that's the that's the first thing because now we're having a common language. Another thing is to be an expert or at least some sort of you know get a book yourself on development and understand or on adolescence like. I wish I could just pop one off the top of my head that I would like people to read, but there are so many differences. Mm. But in the way cultures experience adolescence in terms of rituals around rituals around aging into adolescence, you know, there's a lot. Think about quinceañeras, and then there's circumcision rituals in Africa. My friend who mm-hmm. had at 15 boys are circumcised within their community. Moms are Oof. not allowed to be there. And they are taken away for 30 days to heal with their hmm. fathers and the men in the group. And, yeah. and it's a very celebratory event. Because this is your step over into manhood, and it's something that they look forward to. Now, in the United States, we've shifted this, but we do the, we just do circumcisions at birth or mm-hmm. at six weeks. But the truth is, like learning about these kinds of things are really important. Couple more takeaways for tweens and teens. Have conversations with children from the beginning so it doesn't feel like you're springing new information on them just because they're changing. There's so Mm. many things that get sprung on tweens and teens physically, hormonally, and in their peer and social environments. They don't need their parents to be the springers of new information either. They need their parents to be the consistent stability, consistent predictability that they've always had. 
that feels so much better to have somebody who does that. Yeah. And recognize that it's a celebration if your children kind of think you're off the off your rails in <laughs> adolescence because just like toddlers do, the last this is their opportunity to step away and to be their own person, to experience mm. autonomy. We experience autonomy for the first time in, in toddlerhood, but we don't let you go much further than across the room. But now we're experiencing autonomy as an adolescent and we're letting you actually go out of the house and yeah. we're actually letting you be supervised by yourself and your friends for small periods of time. We don't let you go you know, for a month off without checking in or even mm -hmm. a weekend probably. But so this is the second phase of autonomy and that's what we want to, we're scaffolding for the third phase of autonomy where we move out. So always be thinking that we're building skills towards the next phase of development. I think that's the last and most important thing ever is every stage of development is followed by a new stage and we want to build the skills for the child and the person we love and adore most to give them the best opportunity to survive, be healthy and loved and taken care of in that next stage. Yeah. And this is how we do it. We front load the system. We're always front loading the yeah, system. Yeah, that's great. Awesome. So, well, thank you so much for your time, Dr. B. Any final words? Yeah. Go out and leave a life print. And until next time. Thanks so much for listening to today's episode. I appreciate the opportunity to connect with you. If you're interested in booking a training, I'd love to hear from you. You can reach me at my website, Dr. B Connections. There's a big button that says, book a training with Dr. B. It's that easy. If this show has been beneficial for you, please share it with your friends and family. Spreading the word about the show helps us grow our audience and helps continue to change the world together. Again, thanks so much for listening to Delusional Optimism. Now, go leave a life print.